Who fans, and welcome to the Big Blue Box podcast. My name's Gary, and welcome to episode 240. One day, I shall come back. Yes, I shall come back. Until then, there must be no regrets, no tears, no anxieties. Just go forward in all your beliefs and prove to me that I am not mistaken in mine. Our lives are different to anybody else's. That's the exciting thing. Nobody in the universe can do what we're doing. I've reversed the polarity of the neutron flow, so the TARDIS should be free of the force field now. You may be a doctor, but I'm the doctor. The definite article, you might say. The trouble with time travel is, one never seems to find the time. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited rice pudding, etc., etc. I am the doctor. For now, for this moment, I am the doctor again. The ground beneath our feet is spinning at a thousand miles an hour. And the entire planet is hurtling around the sun at 67,000 miles an hour. And I can feel it. We're falling through space, you and me. People assume that time is a strict progression of cause to effect. But actually, from a non-linear, non-subjective viewpoint, it's more like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. I could be a curator. I'd be great at curating. I'd be the great curator. <laughs> I could retire and do that. I'm the doctor. I've lived for over 2,000 years, and not all of them were good. I've made many mistakes, and it's about time that I did something about that. Bit of adrenaline, dash of outrage, and a hint of panic knitted my brain back together. I know exactly who I am. I'm the Doctor. Sorting out fair play throughout the universe. Howdy, howdy, do who fans? I hope you've all had a cracking good few weeks and that you've all managed to do something Doctor Who related. You may notice that it's just little old me this week. Uh, my good friend, your good friend, my good friend, and my co host, uh, Mr. Adam, is uh, currently um, still uh, situated away from a microphone or a setup or anything like that. But essentially, he's not in, at his usual. Uh, routine and set up at the moment still. So it's going to be me giving you a slightly shorter show this week. Going to go through some some news, a little bit of merch. And I don't really want to carry on doing the, uh, the reviews and everything without my co-host. Uh, so I'm going to leave those for when he gets back and we'll pick those back up uh, when he's back recording again. So the last review that we did for you guys would have been uh, The Mad Woman in the Attic, which was the latest Sarah Jane Smith or Sarah Jane Adventures episode that we did. Uh, so if you haven't listened to that, go back and check that out. That's episode 239. That was a few weeks back. Uh, we were due to kick off with Classic Who the week afterwards, uh, but that's obviously been delayed, and that was going to be, where are we? The Ark of Infinity, the fifth Doctor story. So we'll get to that when we come back um, in a couple, two or three weeks' time when Adam's all sorted and we're back to doing that stuff. So because it's just me doing this stuff... Uh, I don't want to do those reviews without him because his views and his thoughts and his score and everything is very important, as you might uh, as you might guess um, to the the show overall. So I'm going to do some other little cool snippets and stuff uh, in his absence until he gets back. This week I've opened up a Q and A session. Haven't done one of those in in ages and ages. So 
Uh, thank you so much, guys, for sending in all your questions. I've got them all logged here. I'll get through to those after we've done the news and merch. A uh, quick update on the show. Uh, as you can obviously guess from the opening of this show and some of the tweets that have gone out the last couple of weeks, we are sort of having a little bit of a on and off kind of break at the moment throughout the summer because uh, our personal circumstances changed recently and Adam's going through a few things and, and all that stuff. So it just meant it just means that the show is kind of up and down at the moment. There's no regular schedule, but that will be back uh, in the next few weeks. Uh, so hopefully by towards the end of September, uh, so there's a few more weeks to go through of doing some cool stuff. Uh, I'm going to get some co-hosts on that you've may have heard of, may not have heard of before in the world of Doctor Who blogging and podcasting and so on, uh, and some other cool bits. So that's why the show's a little bit up and down at the moment. But uh, just trust trust us, we'll be back uh, to regular schedules and viewings uh, by the end of September, and then we'll be cracking on with our uh, schedule of reviews. And if there are any new listeners, if you've just joined the show, if you found us somewhere out on the interwebs or iTunes, whatever, thank you very much for joining us. Welcome aboard. Uh, if you don't know the schedule, we do like um, we do a, a, a rotation every single month. So one week we do a classic Doctor Who story. The next week it's Sarah Jane. Then we do a modern Doctor Who story review, and then we do a Torchwood review. And as I said, the last one was uh, Sarah Jane. Sarah Jane Ventures: The Mad Woman in the Attic, which I think closed off series two i think uh so when we adam's back uh the next one we'll get around to is the fifth doctor story arc of infinity and yeah so i hope you guys have all been well i've chatted to um a, a bunch of you guys over twitter and instagram over the last few weeks and um i just hope you're keeping well there isn't uh, i've got one piece of news to kick off with shortly and as usual, it's a sad piece of news, very, very sad, this piece of news, which um, which I'll come on to. And then there's a few cool pieces of merch and then the Q&A. Uh, in term, normally on the show, Adam and myself will go through what we've both been up to over the past week in terms of anything Doctor Who related and so on. I haven't actually done too much, uh, which I think is common at the moment for for Doctor Who fans. Um, yeah, I, I did see that a bunch of people were off to Hooverville last, was it last weekend, just gone? That looked really cool. Uh, so it's not a convention that I've been to before. I've heard good things about it. I think it's a fairly long running convention as well, but so that's something I have to get to at some point. It does look like a cool, a cool convention. And then I also believe that we have Cardiff Comic Con this weekend it was either again the weekend just gone or this weekend coming up so we do still have a few uh conventions to keep us going but there's very very little in the way of official news or anything from the bbc about the show in general so yeah it's very very quiet i've not really been up to anything the only thing i have done doctor who related is i guessed i was a guest on uh another podcast so there's a really really good podcast out that it's been going for years as well it's called the who's he podcast and it's uh, hosted and run by um our good friend phil cannon who also jumped on and revitalized the 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 doctor who podcast that was on a, a huge break for years and i think he co-hosts that once a month i think uh, so anyway i got the chance to jump on his show and he invited me on to talk about 
our favourite companions, and I chose Donna Noble. So that show is coming out, I believe, this weekend. I think it's coming out this Sunday. So we'll stick a couple of um, links to that on Twitter and so on at the weekend when that comes out. But that was a really good chat with Phil. He's a he's such a nice guy, Phil, and um, knows his Doctor Who and all that. And we had a really good uh, time talking all things uh, Don and Noble. So that's really cool. So I managed to do something Doctor Who related, which is not all bad. Uh, I've got a little bit of an update on the saga with the uh, season 10 box set uh, listeners who have been listening to the show more than a um, couple of months, I suppose, will know that I had a bit of a hoo-ha with the old uh, season 10 Blu-ray box set that I'd ordered. Uh, essentially, uh, what happened was I ordered the box, I pre-ordered the box set uh, as you do. And um, what happened was I moved house in between the me placing the pre-order and me moving house. What I did, I ordered it from zoom.co.uk and uh, I went on to Zoom and I changed my uh, account details and updated my address and all that stuff. But it turns out that, and this might be a good tip for anyone that is moving or changing address or whatever, uh, with Zoom, what you have to do is each individual order, you have to go in and update your uh, details for that particular order for that to be changed as well. You, you can go into your overall account and change all your details, but uh, I think it's something to do with the registered, whatever credit or debit card you paid with, it has to be registered to that address. So my card was obviously at my old address at the time, something to do with the order, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, the order went out and I thought it was lost forever. I sent my in-laws round to the old house, the new owners, but they didn't see anything of it. So I just assumed it was lost. Uh, those guys were just having a nice cup of tea, enjoying my season 10 Blu-ray. Uh, but it turns out that that's not the case. So I got an email from Zoom last beginning of last week. And they said, we've had a package arrive back at the warehouse. The courier has been unable to deliver it. So would you like us to redispatch it? Or would you like a refund? So I thought, yes, the, the situation has been or like the universe has listened. It's like it could sense my my uh, my downtrodden, downbeat demeanour about not owning the season 10 Blu-ray and the universe has served up a resolution and everything's lovely. But that didn't happen, unfortunately. So I got an email Zoom back and said, this is amazing news because I assumed that it was lost or it went, you know, because it went to my old address, even though they said that it wasn't there, blah, blah, blah. So I said, please, dispatch it to my new address. Everything's hunky-dory. Goody gumdrops. I got an email from them a few days later saying, unfortunately, this item is no longer in the warehouse and we don't know where it is. So our only option is to give you a refund. Ah, sad face once more. So the season 10 box set was eluding me. I did a, a, I basically resigned myself to the fact that I'm going to have to buy it again for a more expensive price, because I think the 35 or the £39 that it was out, uh, the price for pre-order, uh, there's no way that you'll be able to pick that up now. So I looked on uh, Fleabay, I looked on loads of different stores, and the cheapest I could find it was, I think it was about £90, £95, which I thought was a bit steep, but I thought, well, I've pre-ordered 
the other seasons. I've got the the Sixth Doctor um, season box set pre-ordered and another one, which I'll come on to in the merch section. So I've got another two ordered, so I can't leave this one not there on the shelf. There'll be just a very sad, empty gap on the shelf. So I couldn't have that. So I thought, well, I'm just going to have to suck it up and, and pay the extra beans for it. Anyway, doing a little bit more Googling around and searching, and I found our good old friends over at Phantom Events. So you might have heard uh, myself and Adam over the years pop along to their little uh, uh, events, those little tiny little conventions they do over in Chiswick in London. What they must have done is purchased a load of box sets and then asked some of the people at these uh, conventions to sign them and then they can sell them on as signed pieces. So that's what I did. I found they did three different versions. I think they did one signed by Katie Manning, another one signed by four cast members and something else. So I managed to pick up the box set signed by Katie Manning for £75. And that's, to be honest with you, a pretty good deal because not only is it the cheapest price that I could find, but it's also signed. So every cloud and all that. So I'm eagerly awaiting the delivery of that. I can't wait to sit through and mainly watch some a load of the special features and so on. So hopefully the Series 10 saga debacle, whatever, <laughs> will be resolved fairly soon and uh, I can sit down with a cuppa and a slice of cake and enjoy that. So that's been me over the last few weeks. Like I said, not doing too much. So I think, I think we should land the old TARDIS and do a wee bit of news. So, news, 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 and it's sad news, really sad news this week. Uh, over the over the course of doing this podcast, Adam and I are always just none too happy to kick off the news segment with sad news, and this one's a bit of a a bummer because of the this person's impact on Doctor Who for a long, long time. So, Terence Dix, you'll all know that name immediately, hopefully has sadly passed away at the age of 84. And I think this one's resonated quite quite deep throughout Doctor Who fandom for many reasons. The main one being that his name is just synonymous with, with Doctor Who storytelling and novelizations and just being such a great influencer throughout the classic years of Doctor Who. It's a real, it honestly feels like it's like a big, a a huge loss to the, to the, the, the Doctor Who fandom and just people that we've, we've seen many contributors come and go over the years. And there's just a few people that, I don't know, just, just their name just brings a smile to your face whenever you're talking about their era of Doctor Who or what they've contributed to Doctor Who. And Terence Dix is one of those people, absolutely. And when I heard this news the other night, I was instantly just lost for words, really. I saw a lot of people putting out tweets and Facebook posts and so on. But I just couldn't do it for for at least half an hour or so. I was just sat there thinking, well, this is just a crappy end. Because I didn't I, I think the news broke in the evening. And I remember thinking, well, what a crappy end to the day this is, because it wasn't a great day. Anyway, 
And then this news broke and I was like, oh, bummer. But it is a very, it has left a big hole in, in just because of the sheer volume of stuff that he's churned out for Doctor Who. I mean, he was involved in other other TV projects and so on, which were not as big or as as famous as the world of Doctor Who, but uh, he, he was very successful in those other things. But Doctor Who is the thing that he's known known for. And he wrote, I think it was pushing up 40 episodes or something, or at least 40 episodes uh, in, in the, the early 70s through to the early 80s. And then he took over as, um, oh, sorry, he was a script editor for a chunk of that time as well. But he's often known as teaming up with Barry Letts in the 70s and steering the show into a direction that just spawned so many good stories in that, that cla- those classic years. And uh, some of his stories have, yeah, they've just been really cool. So he's worked on The Seeds of Death, uh, The War Games, uh, which I think he wrote a lot with, um, was it Malcolm Hulk, I think? And yeah, and then when he teamed up with Barry Letts, they just, yeah, they just pretty much conquered all of television <laughs> during that time. And uh, yeah, so it's it's really, really sad news. And also TV stuff aside, he also, like the amount of books that he's he's novelised from the classic years, all of the Target novelizations that he's done, I, th- I can't remember the exact number, but I think he's done, I think he's done over f- at least 50 Target books. So if you can just imagine that just for a second, and those Target books, although they're not the, the biggest books in the world in terms of page number or or content, that's still a lot of books to write for anyone's career as a writer. So that's what I mean. Just his contribution and the volume of stuff that he's done over the years is, is immense. And it is a real shame that, that he's left us. So yes, really sad. Terence Dix has left us at the age of 84. So now would be a good time to uh, go and hunt down a bunch of really cool target books that he that he novelized he's a he's got a really good for those of you that have not read any of his books that he did for the target run he's got a really good way of translating what you saw on screen into page but also adding just that extra bit more that you don't feel lost or disconnected from 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 the on-screen story but there's enough in there to flesh out some characters a bit more and things like that. And it's just such a great, like if you're, if you're a big fan of, of some of the stories that he, especially he wrote when he was writing for TV. Um, and then you go and read some of the books that he, that he novelized as well. You can tell that they're absolutely linked to those TV stories, but he does so in a way that throws you extra nuggets of info. So you, you've got though you have those moments where you're like, Oh, so that's why so-and-so did that in the TV series, because what we didn't see on the TV on, on the TV story was that this character actually went off and did this and this. And then, so they're very, very cool. If you've not read any of his books, The Target Range, go and check those out. Really, really cool stuff. Uh, but yes, goodbye, Terrence. Uh, that's the only bit of news. Bit of a bummer that it's just sad news to go through. There really isn't anything official, nothing from the Beeb about Doctor Who, there has been a couple more rumours which are just complete, you know, it's still a ridiculous thing. Um, 
uh, when Adam and I were, were on a few weeks ago for episode 239, we spoke about this ridiculous rumour that Chris Chibnall had thrown his, his scripts and his clipboard down on set and stormed off and quit the show. And uh, and Jodie Whittaker had followed suit because she's had enough as well. And if he's had enough, then I've had enough. And the show was in turmoil, the world's going to end, blah, blah, blah. There's been another, um, another bit of rumour that was it Bradley Walsh or Bradley Walsh or, or somebody else? I can't remember exactly. Apparently they've had enough as well and they're off. So that just leaves Ryan and Yaz basically doing the show. But there you go. So nothing else other than, than, than Chinese whispers going on. But yes, let's get on to a bit of merch, shall we? Merch corner. Merch corner. Merch Corner. It's a bit rubbish, but it's pretty. It's very pretty. Well, there you are, young man. What do you think of that now, eh? A Viking helmet. I know, it's on the telly. It's everywhere. I don't know whether to be impressed or disgusted. I work in a shop now, here to help. Season 26 has been announced for Blu-ray release. I am so, so happy about this one. I thought that the McCoy story was going to be the one announced before the the um, the sixth Doctor, the um, the Colin uh, Colin Baker uh, series, and when it wasn't announced, uh, don't get it wrong, the Colin Baker set uh, does look does look very cool, but in the back of my mind, because I had heard rumblings around that the, that a McCoy series was going to be announced. Um, I was like, oh man, this is cool news, but I really wanted a McCoy set. And now it's here, it's been announced, it's going to be out in December and it looks just so good. These Blu-ray box sets, I think, are one of the best things that have come out in the world of Doctor Who merch and just Blu-rays in general over the past, I don't know, year or so, two years. Because we often get these announcements where you'll go onto one of the Doctor Who news websites or on Twitter or something and it will say this really cool box that's been released. And you think, oh, cool, let's have a look. And then it turns out that it's just maybe the tenant years has come out in the US with no extra special features, nothing new. It's just a reprint with the same disc and stuff like that. But you, I really feel like the BBC have gone a, just all out on these special edition boxes. The artwork is amazing. Lee Binding is just knocking it out the park with all of these covers. And I'm so glad that they've continued this art style throughout each thing because sometimes, with the exception of the of the spine that you see on the shelf, they they didn't have to stick with the same style because essentially each box set is the Doctor and it's in like a nice photograph slash painterly kind of style and in the background it's got a really light, lilac-y, greeny, kind of space scene with rocks and, and all stuff going on. And then in the front, you know, uh, in front of the Doctor, a bit lower down, you've got a series of other characters that appear throughout that season. And they're, they're all consistent, but Lee Binding has just absolutely nailed every cover. They just look so good, and this is no exception. So released on Monday, the 23rd of December, so what a brilliant Christmas some Doctor Who fans are going to get. If you're a fan of if you're a fan of if you're a fan of classic Who and especially the McCoy era, then this is obviously for you. 
However, if your loved one, husband, wife, girlfriend, whatever, is a McCoy fan, this is going to be the present that's going to nail Christmas. It's so good. So it, it follows on from the previous, uh, the format from the previous sets and blah, blah, blah. It's got the, the booklet, it's got all the discs and everything. But it's the special features that really make a difference for these sets because some of the stories are like redone in HD. Um, like, like some of them are properly done. If they've got the source material, then they're redone and rescanned and they look fantastic. The other ones, if they haven't, then of course they're upscaled anyway. So they look a bit better on Blu-ray. And then some of them have had the audio mixes redone. Some of them are in 5.1 some of them have just been redone anyway because the the uh the guys in the audio team have like rediscovered like newer sources and stuff like that so these blu-ray sets mean that you're you're watching classic doctor who in the best format and the best way possible and i think this box set is it's not a big set so there's not that many stories so season 26 only comprised really of four stories, which is Battlefield, Ghostlight, The Curse of Fenric, and Survival. So Survival being the very the final, the the last ever classic Doctor Who series, not including the TV movie. So Survival's the last one, and because there's only four stories, you think, oh, they're going to be a bit light on the ground with content and so on. But no, the special features are they. It looks really good, just like the other box sets, really that have got even more content than this one. And some of the special features are, you've got uh, rare restored extended cuts. So the Curse of Fenric, there's the VHS extended version and then the DVD special edition on there. For Battlefield, same thing, the VHS extended version and the DVD special edition. You've got 5.1 surround and the isolated scores. So all of on all the 14 outings for this season, you get 5.1 sound plus all the extended versions of Curse of Fenric and Battlefield. There's that awesome behind the sofa. For those of you that have not picked up these sets before, and this is another reason to pick them up, as part of the special features, they do this segment called Behind the Sofa, which is essentially like those of you that know the program Gogglebox. It's essentially you're watching people sat on the sofa watching something and they're commenting on what they're watching and joking around and so on. And they're really, really good. So this one has got McCoy and Sophie, obviously, but there's also uh, segments that have got Jeanette Fielding, Sarah Sutton, Annika Wills, Jodie Whittaker era writers, Pete, no, Jodie Whittaker's not on there. Jodie Whittaker era writers, Pete Mateague and Joy Wilkinson. So they're going to be really fun and interesting. You've then got this other documentary all about John Nathan Turner. So this is a feature-length look at the life and career of the of, uh, John Nathan Turner, who was producing Doctor Who at this time. And that's also got inclusions from Peter Davison and Colin Baker. You've got The Making of the Curse of Fenwick, which is a brand new made-for-this-box-set documentary, which has got McCoy, Sophie Eldred, uh, loads of people that starred in the show at the time, plus the people that were making it. So you've got Andrew Cartmel on there, Mark Ayres, doing, talking about the audio and stuff. And that also includes unseen behind-the-scenes stuff and photographs. You've then got this um, In Conversation, which is another really good special feature that's been on these box sets. It's called In Conversation with Matthew Sweet. 
where essentially he sits down and chews the fat on this era of Doctor Who and what was happening at the time when they were making it. And this one, it's uh, Matthew Sweet with Sophie Aldred. You've then got the writer's room, which um, all the writers from this season, so Ben Aronovich, Mark Platt, Ian Briggs, uh, Rona Monroe and Andrew Cartmel, they essentially sit down and just discuss their work that they did around season 26. And then you've got Becoming the Destroyer, which is um, Merrick Anton, who was the guy um, uh, that had all the, did all the prosthetics and all the makeup and everything like that. Um, he goes through a load of that stuff that he that, that he did when he was making the show as well. So as you can see, it's got a load of really cool, really cool stuff bundled in with it. So I personally, I can't wait for this. I think those that have listened to the show, you know that I'm a huge McCoy fan now. It's one of my favorite doctors. And I think this is going to be an awesome set. So you can pre-order this now from Amazon and probably some other places, uh, zoom.co.uk. Uh, I think Zavi have it and a couple of other places. Um, if you don't, for somehow find it in stock there or whatever. And they're also doing a showing of the Curse of Fenric, the special edition that's going to be on the upcoming Blu-ray at the BFI, which is also going to have a Q&A with Sophie Aldred and uh, script editor Andrew Cartmel. So that's going to be a BFI showing on, when is that? Saturday the 23rd of November at the BFI. So these events are always really cool. Adam and I try and get to all of these. Uh, they're really, really cool events. Just to be sat in the cinema watching classic Doctor Who with loads of other Who fans is really, really cool. And The Curse of Fenric's not a bad one to sit and enjoy either. So there we go. I've waffled on long enough. Season 26, the Blu-ray, is out on the 23rd of December and you can pre-order that now. Uh, next bit of merch is the, uh, the Rose Tyler, the Dimension Cannon story is now available to order from big finish so we mentioned this months ago where it was first when it was first announced that billy piper was going to come back to big finish as a solo project so not with any doctors so just rose tyler doing her thing and the thing that caught my eye about this one and you had heard you would have heard me mention his name many times on the show before is that the one of the characters from the very first TV episode in 2005, the episode Rose, it featured a character called Clive. Now, Clive has always intrigued me as a character because I felt like personally he was such a massive uh, wasted opportunity in terms of that whole geeky, undercover, nerdy, uh, sort of character that I just I love those within Doctor Who. So uh, Mark Benton, who played Clive, is uh, going to be back for one of these or two of these stories, should I say? And the reason why I say that he's it was a wasted opportunity with him because his screen time was just hardly anything. Uh, essentially, he's the character. So in the in the episode Rose, when she has that encounter with the Doctor. And then she's trying to track him down and she's doing research and she comes across this guy called Clive. And he's, I guess he's got an obsession with the doctor. He's, he's done tons of research over the years and everything is really cool. He's got this shed out in the garden and in there he's got tons of filing cabinets and he's 
been researching stuff and he's got paperwork all about the doctor. And he essentially says to Rose, look, yep, you're not going mad. This person exists. I feel like he's a time traveling. He kind of nails it really. He's like, he's an alien or something. He's a time traveler. And you're right. He does exist. You're not going crazy. But then that was it. Rose, she does the off. You don't, the only time you see Clive again is sadly when he gets killed at the end of the episode. So I feel like he's got such a massive wealth of geekiness that he can contribute to the story. So he is back for a couple of these. Now the dimension canon is split into four stories. And, uh, so it's not just about Clive. There's some other characters as well. So Rose's family is in there as well. You've got Pete Tyler, you've got Jackie, they're back. So the first story is called the endless night and that's written by Jonathan Morris. And, uh, the blurb for that one is as his parallel universe universe darkens, Pete Tyler has found a chance of survival, punch a hole through dimensions and someone can jump through and maybe find a way to the doctor's universe. On her very first trip, Rose visits an earth that's about to get colder. As a long night begins, Rose meets different versions of her parents and one man who can help her search. His name is Clive. Oh, that sounds so good. And then the next one is the flood written by Lisa McMullen. And making another leap with a new companion, Rose finds a world suffering environmental change. The rain won't stop and the government could be hiding the scale of the impeding, the impending disaster. While Rose connects with another version of Pete and a strangely compelling young man, Clive meets someone special of his own. In this world, there was no Clive for Caroline to meet, but love can cross dimensions. Ah. Oh. Uh, number three is Ghost Machines by A.K. Benedict. Pete decides it's time he, he accompanied Rose on one of her dimension jumps, but he couldn't have picked a worse time. They arrive in a world where technology took an extraordinary path and where the recently deceased Pete Siler has a very different kind of success. As machines start to break down, Pete meets widow, meets his widow, and he and Rose must confront truths about their family, quote-unquote. But, but they may not escape this Earth alive. Sounds very good. And last one, number four, is The Last Party on Earth by Matt Fitton. And Rose and Jackie Tyler visit a home very close to the one they left behind, but some old friends are missing and some are unexpectedly present. Rose meets two young men she knows should be together. It can sometimes take the end of the world to see what's right in front of you. Meanwhile, the Powell estate faces Armageddon in the only way it can, by throwing a party. So there we go, Rose Tyler, the Dimension Canon. Now, you know that Adam and I are big fans of Big Finish anyway, but this one sounds particularly good. And our views on Rose and Rose as a character and a companion aside, the actual stories and some of the sub-characters, or supporting characters, should I say, do sound very intriguing and very rather quite good on this one. So you can head over to bigfinish.com, just do a search for the Dimension Canon or do a search for Rose Tyler. You can buy it for $24.99 on CD or $19.99 as a digital download. And that is released at some point in September. So this month, at some point, you can um, you can bag that. And there's a trailer you can listen to as well. So there we go. Rose Tyler back for Big Finish. And lastly, uh, just a little bit more Big Finish news. Uh, the Sixth Doctor and... Uh, Perry will be returning next year for a brand new set of audio adventures. So yes, the Sixth Doctor and Perry are teaming back up and they're going to release a new, again, uh, Big Finish commonly favour this four-story 
um, to their, their sets, and this is no exception. So the first one's the headless ones. Uh, number two is like. Number three is the vanity trap. And number four is conflict theory. So these sound very, very cool, and they've been recording these now. As Big Finish do, they normally record a bunch of stuff quite a bit in advance. So there we go. Uh, the box set itself, sorry, is called uh, Volume 1, the Sixth, the Sixth Doctor and Perry, Volume 1, and it's called uh, The Rani Elite, split into those four stories. So that's very cool. If you're a fan of The Sixth Doctor and Perry, they'll be back for Big Finish next year. We'll have more details on that stuff uh, closer to the uh, the launch for that. So that's merch. A few cool pieces there. Particularly excited, as you guys might have guessed, for the Season 26 box set. But also those Rose uh, stories, they do sound they do sound kind of cool. So there we go. Now, normally at this point in the show, uh, I would hand off to my co-host who would introduce the review story and then we would crack on with our thoughts on that stuff. But like I said at the beginning... Uh, I don't want to just plough through a bunch of stories without hearing Adam's thoughts on stuff, so we're going to park the the reviews for now. This week, I've opened up a bit of a Q&A for you guys, seeing as other than meeting you, you fine peeps at conventions or events and so on, you haven't sent us in any, any questions in a while. We haven't done this for a while, so let's crack on with the Q&A. I, I should have got a soundbite ready, couldn't I? Shouldn't I? I don't know, a cool little jingle of some sort but alas there we go so first question this is from daniel fox on instagram he said which doctor who episode slash story do you think you've seen the most times and i would say the ones i've seen the most times is probably an unearthly child i've seen quite a few i think i've seen that about 30 times ish Roughly, it's so many times. Uh, Rose, um, Eccleston's first part, I've seen that loads of times. Um, I've seen Genesis of the Daleks quite a few times and probably Remembrance of the Daleks. Uh, any long-time listeners will know that I've got a bit of a rocky history with Remembrance and McCoy in general, but my path over the years throughout McCoy's era has led me to watch that story quite a few times. So, yeah, I'll probably say... Probably say those ones, Daniel. Uh, next, Luke Robinson on Instagram said, what's your fave episode of New and Old Who? This is always difficult. I can never pick. There must, there must be some people out there that can do this, but I just can't. I can't pick one, just one story as a favourite because my I change my mind over on this all the time. Like if you ask me this question in a month's time or three months' time, my answer will likely be different. Um, so I can't really pick one, but I do have a few for you. So from New Doctor Who, some of my fave episodes are Utopia, cracking story, uh, a couple of episodes from Eccleston's era, the story Dalek, really, really good. The story Rose, that's really cool. Um, School Reunion, I love School Reunion. And also, I think the 11th hour, I think the 11th hour is a really good watch as well. I think uh, just for just for Matt Smith's just amazing entrance in, into uh, 
into that role as a cracking watch. So there's a few there for New Who. And then Classic Who. Um, some faves for me would be Pyramids of Mars, Inferno. Love that story. I haven't watched that in a while, actually. I have to watch that soon. Uh, Genesis of the Daleks, uh, Earthshock, and just going against common opinion, which I'm totally cool with, uh, the TV movie. I've just got a soft spot for that one. So thank you very much there, Luke. Uh, Dean Jones on Facebook said, what do you want to see from series 12? In brackets, monsters, character dynamics, etc." Well, Dean, um, that's a really big question. I think that would be a podcast all by itself, to be honest with you, but just mm, a few things off the top of my head would be, and again, this is going to go against common opinion, again, which I'm totally cool with, but fewer companions. I think the full-on, the, the four-person TARDIS team, I think works for a while, but then after that, I think it becomes a bit of a struggle to write a, a, a proper part for those characters throughout an entire series. So I think fewer companions. I think if we if we went back to having two companions, that would be great. Uh, but I can't see that happening for series 12 at least, but we, we'll see, maybe. Uh, more time inside the TARDIS if it looked better. And what I mean by that is one of our complaints about the new TARDIS interior, and overall it was cool, but one of our complaints was it looks really dark in there. Like if you think about especially classic Doctor Who uh, and those TARDIS interiors, they were really light and and stuff. And I know that I know that the overall side of things starts to change as we get into from McGann's story. So the TV movie, that TARDIS was very, had some really nice mood lighting and stuff. It was quite dark. And then they continued that theme. So when we jumped into Eccleston's era, had that orangey, dark feel to it with like a bit of blue lighting in there as well. And it's been kind of dark. I mean, I think Matt Smith's TARDIS was actually quite bright at one point. It was a really bright orange and it was really light in there and it felt really cool. But then with Jodie's era, they went back to having it really dark and mysterious and stuff. So if they brightened it up a bit and turned the light on, it would be cool. But also just to spend more time in the TARDIS, I think this series especially, Series 11, I think it was the least amount of time we've spent in a series inside the TARDIS. It'd be nice to, to go back in there. Um, I'd like to see a bit more inclusion of previous Doctor Who lore into the series. I think that'd be good. I think, I think, yeah, I, the, the Moth did this with series five. It was a case of Russell's era had wrapped up and everything had come full circle with the doctor saying goodbye to his previous friends and companions. And then it was a really big reset, not in terms of continuity, but reset in terms of new actors, new showrunner, new theme, everything was different. But one of the things that I wasn't keen on was that they pretty much ignored all of Doctor Who back to 2005. There was hardly any mentions of previous stories, previous companions, all that stuff. They inserted it in there for a bit of fan service now and then, but I just want them to be connected a little bit more. Uh, and they did the same thing with Series 11. It was the same thing happened. 
new actors, showrunners, all that stuff, new design, everything, which is all good. You know, that that's part of the show's appeal and that's part of the show's sort of long standing. You know, that's why the show's been around for so long, because it has that ability to literally regenerate and come up with a new look and feel and, and all that stuff. But sometimes I feel like they lose sight of the fact that it is this is one character. And although it's a different incarnation and a different uh, a different um, performance of that character. It is still the same character that's been on a very long journey and so on. And I feel like sometimes we need to incorporate that just a little bit more. And also just to have, just to have some better characters for me, because I think some of the stories from series 11 that, and, and the characters that are in there are just instantly forgettable to me. There's a couple of standouts, but it's only because, like Tim Shaw, but that's only because they slotted him into the finale. So he's in it more than once anyway. Um, but some of the other characters, I mean, some of the historical characters, of course, you're not going to forget them like Rosa Parks and so on. But a lot of the other characters, like so I was having a conversation with somebody at work the other day. They're not a massive Doctor Who fan, but they had watched series 11. And they said to me, what was the... What was that story? What was that story with the, with the the Trump wannabe? That you know they they modelled him on Trump, and I literally sat there and thought, I don't I, I don't know who you're talking about. What what story is this? And I said, you know the one, the, you know the guy in the suit and he, the American he was bolshy and they kind of modelled him on a little bit like Trump. And I was like, no, I've got no idea. And then they looked up on their phone and it was the, uh, the the spider one, arachnids in the UK. Was it arachnids in something? Do you see what I mean? I can't even I can't even remember the uh, the thing, but yeah. So I had somebody had to look it up and tell me, you know, re-explain the synopsis of the episode plus the character name plus the the episode title. So that happened a few times throughout series eleven, where things are just instantly forgettable. There's there isn't that staying power because the characters are not strong enough. They're not written strong enough, in my opinion, anyway. Uh, if you think back to some previous series of Doctor Who like Sally from, uh, is it Sally Nightingale or something like that from Blink? You know, I always remember that character. Uh, the, the the cast members in the family of blood, always remember those. Uh, Clive from Rose. Uh, you know, th- a lot of characters that have been written previously have got staying power. You know, I don't have to look up on Wikipedia their characters and what they were doing and their names and so on. But with series 11, I find that, a lot. <laughs> so it'd be really cool to have some, some, some better writing essentially around the characters. But anyway, hope that answers some of you, some of those, uh, some of that for you, Dean. Uh, next up, Harry Walker from Facebook. I'm currently rewatching series six and don't think it's all that bad. I was wondering which episode is your favorite from this series. Hmm. Series six. That was the one that they split in half. I think if memory serves, which was weird. Um, and a couple of good ones from, well, yeah, series six isn't the best, is it? From modern Doctor Who. However, it has got a couple of little gems in there. One for me is Night Terrors. I think that's a really cool, creepy, creepy story. And the other one, which it doesn't really get reviewed that highly, but I kind of like it still, is The Doctor's Wife, that Neil Gaiman story, where the TARDIS is embodied by... Uh, what's the actress's name? I can't remember her name, but that I, I really, really like that story. And while it wasn't perfect, while there were some some bits on there that 
or in there that could have been done better. And I, I just think the whole concept of having the TARDIS come to life was just amazing. And for me, it was a pretty good story. So yeah, Series 6, not the best, mate, but there are a couple of good ones in there for me. Uh, Alex Kingdom uh, on Twitter. Uh, Thoughts on Series 11 looking back? Best and worst guest you have met at conventions? Uh, so Series 11, just very briefly for me, Alex, uh, just felt very up and down for me. Like we went from one week being just really good with episodes like uh, uh, Demons of the Punjab, and then it would go to the next week we would just dive bomb into just very mediocre storytelling and not great character writing. Um, and yeah, and I think it, it was definitely a... It was definitely an interesting intro into Jody's era, and I th- honestly think that series twelve is going to be the, the the thing that really makes or I don't want to be too dramatic, but I think series twelve is going to be the thing that makes or breaks this you know modern run of Doctor Who. So I think in series twelve they've really got to stop that inconsistency because I think one of the things that previous series of Doctor Who have done very well to a degree (laughs) not counting Capaldi's first uh, not counting Capaldi's second series but other than that uh, Tennant's character was always pretty consistent for the most part Matt Smith's character was pretty consistent same with Chris Eccleston he was really consistent I felt like Jodie and some of the other characters were a bit up and down as well as the overall storytelling as well however the series looked fantastic. So all of the new cinematic cameras and lenses and all that stuff that they got in for that, I think it's the best looking uh, Doctor Who. Uh, and then for conventions, uh, the best and the worst guest. Um, I think the best guest that I've met at conventions is probably Sylvester McCoy, just because he's completely potty, balmy all the time. He's just always, you know, he's knocking on a bit now. But he always seems to be laughing and joking. We went to, I think it was London Film and Comic Con, not last year, the year before. And we went into this talk that he was doing. And it wasn't anything specific. It was just a talk on his era of classic Who and so on. But instead of just sitting on the stage and um, having the panellists just ask questions, he was legging around the whole room. He was walking in between people sitting next to people, he was like, it was like he he ate a bucket of Skittles <laughs> before that talk. And he was just awesome. He was really good. And I've, I think I've met him about five or six times now. And yeah, he, he's just a really cool, funny guy. Doesn't ever seem to suffer from convention boredom or anything like that. He's just very, very cool. And the worst guest I've met, and this is a tough one because I'm, I hear a lot of horror stories, but me personally, I've not really had that experience where I've come away thinking, oh God, you know, that was a a horrible experience. But I think the closest I've come to that is probably, and this is not a Doctor Who, but um, I met Kenny Baker at a convention quite a few years back. And he was in a bit of a grumpy mood, to be honest with you. I think he was, he was either hungry or something wasn't right with him, but he was just very short and quite grumpy. Didn't really look at anybody for a little while. And uh, yeah, so that that wasn't the best. I mean, it wasn't terrible. You know, he he didn't just ignore anybody. He was just he just came across as a little bit like, 
you know, I want to be sat in KFC right now, neck in a zinger tower, rather than signing autographs for you guys. But yeah, so not terrible, but that's probably bordering on the worst, um, the worst experience. Um, TF Productions from Twitter says, if you could recover one missing episode from Doctor Who, what would it be? Uh, I think I mentioned this before. The Daleks' master plan, I think, would be a cracking story if they found that. Big old chunky one, that. I think it's like 10 parts or 12 parts or something. But I think that would really, that would be such a cool sort of progression story and character story for the Daleks. And um, yeah, I just think that would be a real meaty story to get into. Um, But yeah, yeah, any others? There's, there's probably a couple, but I think, you know, the Daleks master plan would be a good one. Uh, Martin from Twitter says, what do you think about the rumours of David Tennant returning to Doctor Who and the rumours of Jodie leaving next year? Do you think there will be a 60th special and do you think Torchwood should be brought back? Hmm. Martin, um, David Tennant returning. I think, I think if the story is good and the script is good, I think probably... He's never, Tennant's never shied away from his, from his responsibility as, as, as a, as a, an actor who's, who's played the role of the doctor. And I think, I think actors who have played that will agree that it is a responsibility. It's not one of those parts where you, you play that you play the part and then you leave and then that's it. I think there is definitely a, it, it stays with you as an actor. I think it stays with you throughout your entire career. You'll always be known as, as the doctor. And as an offshoot of that, you, you, you get on the convention circuit and, and all that stuff. And I think David Tennant's a great custodian for the show. He's always positive about it. I've hardly mentioned, I've, I, well, I say hardly, I don't think I've ever heard him mention anything negative to do with the show he's never criticized anybody he's worked with on the show never criticized you know the just the whole experience of being the doctor so i think if the story is good i think he'd be up for it because i just think that outside of him playing the doctor i just think he genuinely loves the show especially the classic years i think he's just a, a huge fan still so i think if the script's good and the story's good enough and it and it's and it comes across that it brings a, a, a decent impact and a celebration for sixty years. Then I think, I think he would. Uh, Jody leaving next year. Who knows? That's just. It, I, I don't know what to say. There's just rumours and Chinese whispers about that stuff. Nobody actually knows other than Jody and probably Chris and a couple of other people at the BBC. I don't know whether their long-term plan when, so when Doctor Who was going through the change and Moffat was on the way out and Chibbers jumped on board and he obviously wants to put his stamp on it and have everything new, just like the Moff did. I've no idea what the contracts were when that was all being set up. So is Jodie on a rolling year by year or series by series contract? I don't know. Or did she sign on for at least three series? Who knows? But it's probably not, I probably wouldn't dwell on that stuff too much. If she goes, she goes. If not, then we'll see her for series 13, whenever that might, that might be after series 12. But, uh, I really don't know on that one, Martin, who knows? Um, and possibly Torchwood coming back. So I don't think Torchwood is going to come back. 
Should it be brought back? I think yes. I think Torchwood has still got a decent bunch of stories in there that should be told outside of Big Finish. I still think that it's got a decent TV run left in it, at least a series. So should it be brought back? I think yes, it should. Will it be brought back? I don't think so. I think the last time that um, uh, John Barrowman tried to bring it back, I think he went all out and really just went to town on setting up meetings with the execs at the BBC, talking to everybody that he could, rallying up support and really trying to sell it into the BBC that, look, Torchwood has still got legs. Let's bring it back. I think after all that, it's still, you know, he, he was still met with, mm, you might think so, John, but, you know, unfortunately, no. So I think it's going to run on big finish for for quite a few years still. But on TV, yeah, I don't think so. Martin, I think Torchwood is is gone for TV. I could be wrong, but you know, I just feel like it's the TV run is is done. Unfortunately, I think if John has tried everything he could, and let's face it, out of all of the people involved with Torchwood, not counting Russell T Davis because he's already said that he's not going to do anything Doctor Who related. Outside of him, John Barrowman's your best bet. If you were going to send anyone in to try and sell it and get it back on, he's your guy. And if he can't do it, then yeah, I don't think it's going to happen, mate. So yeah, I don't think we're going to see Torchwood back anytime soon. RJ over on Twitter says, if you could have a multi-doctor story with 13 and two other doctors, who would you pick? That's a good question. So it has to be, right, okay, so it has to be Jodie and then two others. Right, so I had a thought about this the other night. And uh, I think a cool idea would be would be Paul McGann and Chris Eccleston because I feel like they're like two bookends, aren't they? Um, now, I mean no disrespect in this whatsoever, but if you take the War Doctor out of the equation just for a second, the... McGann and Eccleston are like the two bookends, aren't they? So McGann sees out because he's always lumped in with the classic era. So he's like the last Doctor. And like I said, War Doctor, out of the equation for a second. McGann's always uh, grouped in with the classic years as the very last story. And then Eccleston is obviously the first Doctor in the new modern Doctor Who. So I think having those two Doctors together, just on their own, even if by some crazy miracle there's like a spin-off like a one-off spin-off thing where it's McGann and Eccleston I think that on its own would be amazing but to pick like a multi-doctor like so over the is that what you mean I think that's what you mean RJ is like over the years when we've had things like uh the 50th special is it the day of the doctor and then previous in classic years like the five doctors and stuff so yeah, I think if we are uh, in in Jodie's era, if she could be joined by two doctors, it would be McGann and Eccleston because I just think they would have so much good banter together and so much because they're so different and from two different eras. I think bringing those two together would be amazing. So yeah, McGann and Eccleston, I think that'd be a good, a really good special to jump into. Uh, the Who Society from Twitter said, "What's your guilty pleasure Doctor story?" Doctor Who story. Um, 
off the top of my head, I'm going to say partners in crime is a good guilty pleasure for me because it's one that always has me and my wife in stitches laughing. I think that story is, while it's not the best story in terms of, you know, Doctor Who, uh, big adventurous, you know, magical story, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't jump off the shelf as like a, a modern classic or anything like that. I just think it's got a really good, um, uh, obviously due to Catherine Tate and stuff, but both, both her and David Tennant are just so good in that one. And uh, the way that we spend the first half of the episode with those two apart and the near misses and, you know, and then they come together in that hilarious scene. I don't know, it just, it's, and the little adipose, you know, my wife's always like, oh, they're so cute and stuff. And then we're always laughing at the interactions between Donna and stuff. So as a guilty pleasure, that one for me, partners in crime. Uh, Joe Bowers on Twitter says, which classic enemies would you like to see return to the show? And if you could bring back one classic companion, who would it be and why? I would like to see the Sea Devils back, Joe. I think they're a really cool, really good classic monster. I think that the Sea Devils is a really good story in Pertwee's. Um, I think it would be great to see another Doctor tackle those guys because I think Pertwee did an amazing job with that. But I just think a bit of modern treatment and seeing Jodie or whoever in the future tackle them would be really good. And then classic companions. Um, for me, I'm based on the trailer that we've seen for season 26, I want Ace to come back. And that's something I forgot to mention, actually, when I was going through the merch section and I was fanboying over season 26, the BBC put this awesome trailer out. If you've not watched it, go and look it up on YouTube. It's so good. So the first half of the trailer is essentially modern day ace and she's kind of taken a little bit of a sarah jane smith vibe where she's kind of doing her own thing in the world and it it looks so good it's like a modern take on it like some of the other trailers that they've released for these classic who box sets have been fairly run-of-the-mill so or they've gone down a comedic route like the colin baker series that was him just dicking around in the courtroom and some of the other characters and stuff so while that trailer was really good, it felt like it was done on an iPhone and fairly small budget and done in like, you know, two hours. Whereas this one, it's got like this big aerial shot of London and the, the lighting's amazing. It's got Ace in this really high-end office somewhere and she's looking out across London and it all looks really just beautiful and cinematic and she's narrating over the top. But she's doing it as Ace. Like, it's like she played Ace yesterday. And then the doctor turns up because, you know, she's saying that it was amazing. And, but then he left, uh, but then you hear the TARDIS materialize and you see the question mark umbrella handle going past the, like the frosted glass. And then she's like wicked and she's off. So I think based on that trailer alone, I would love to see Ace come back as a companion because she's still got it. She's still, even though she's, and I would never say this to her face, but even even though she's she's knocking on a little bit now, she still looks great for her age, and she's still got that energetic feel about her and her face. Like in the trailer when the the, the TARDIS materializes and she turns around and that smile that just beams from her face, she she's still got it. I reckon. So I reckon 
Ace would be great to come back and and throw down with the Doctor. So yeah, that would be Ace for me, Joe. Uh, moving on, Seb Ling from Twitter says, if you had to take one episode from Series 11, but it's the Series 10 TARDIS team instead of 13, Yaz, Graham and Ryan, which episode would it be and why? Crikey, that's a good question. One episode from Series 11. Okay, so pick one episode from the recent series, but replace the TARDIS team with Series 10. Right. Um, I'm going to say, bloody hell, Seb, this is a, you've stumped me with this one for a minute. So Series Okay, so let's let's break this down. So, um, first of all, the TARDIS team from Series 11. From Series 10, sorry. Crikey, I can't even get this question right. So, the TARDIS team from Series 10 would be... So, the Doctor, Pearl, uh, it's Pearl Mackey and Matt Lucas. Um, so what story would they slot into? I think they could slot into a few of those, really. Uh, one, actually, yeah, one thing, one, one, one episode that I would say would be the Saranga conundrum, purely because uh, that episode is so bloody boring. <laughs> In a nutshell, um, yeah, I just feel like that episode could really do with a bit of Matt Lucas in there just to just to spice that stuff up a little bit. And yeah, I just found the Saranga conundrum. It, I was really bored, like halfway into it. I just thought, when is this story going to come to an end? Because, And like most of the stories from series 11, it had a, some good little tidbits in there, but yeah, nothing crazy, but I just think that that would be a really good Capaldi story, and to have a little bit of, I think, yeah, I think Pearl Mackey as well. She could bring up some of the emotional stuff that Ryan and Yaz it was offloaded to them, and then Matt Lucas could take over from Graham as the the comedic stuff. But I think uh, having Matt Lucas, um kind of waxing about the pating as well would be quite funny. So yeah, I'm going to go with the Saranga conundrum. That's a really good question, um, Seb. Uh, but yeah, the Saranga conundrum. Thank you very much. Uh, Dan Peters over on Twitter says, what's your favourite Doctor Who audio story you've listened to? This is an easy one for me, Dan. Um, it's not the best audio story that I've listened to, but it's the first one that I ever listened to and it still just hits me with nostalgia and great the audio production is fantastic and it's a really old one it's a mcgann story the chimes of midnight and it's a really good creepy um it's a really suspenseful and creepy story about uh the doctor and um what's her name forgotten the companion's name in it uh let me look up while i'm talking about it um the doctor and uh, the companion um, arrive at this really old um, house and the house has been haunted and has sort of possessed the the workers in the house. So the Doctor and, oh, Charlotte Pollard, of course, 
India Fisher. Sorry. Uh, yeah. So the um, uh, the Doctor. It's basically set around Christmas time, uh, Christmas Eve, uh, Christmas Eve night, and the Doctor and uh, Charlotte land in the lower basement level of this big stately house where all the servants are, and something is controlling time and controlling all the servants and so on. And, uh, essentially time is counting down and down and down to the point where the doctor and Charlotte might be, uh, killed with inside the house or erased from time. And so it's about the doctor trying to figure out what's going on between the, because for a large part of the story, they feel like it's the people themselves that are, because there's a number of murders that happen and, it's clear that as the story goes on, that it's not these people that are committing it, but the house itself and uh, is kind of, is possessing these people and putting them like on a constant loop on a, uh, every single, every, every time we get to midnight time resets and everything goes back to normal. And it's, it, it sounds weird, but it's a really, really good, excellent story. Very creepy, very suspenseful. Paul McGann is brilliant in it. Uh, India Fisher's really good. And the production value is really good, even though it's an old story now. It came out in, oh, crikey. It came out in, I don't even know. It's, it's, it's an old one. It's quite an old, an old story. Uh, 2002, it came out. So it's Donkey's Years Old. Oh, Donkey's, you know, it's old, but it's a really good one. So that's my one. And the other one, um, which I think is a, a classic for a lot of people, a lot of people like this one, is Spare Parts the uh, fifth Dr. Peter Davison story, really, really good um, sort of Cyberman prequel story. Very, very cool. And again, the production value is really high and that's quite an old one, but yeah. So the Chimes of Midnight and Spare Parts, uh, Dan. Uh, Sammy Satine from Down Under on Twitter says, which is your favourite Doctor Who quote and why? Doctor Who quotes. Uh, let me think. I'm going to have a brain freeze now because you put me on a spot. I can't remember. So the obvious one is the Hartnell speech at the end of uh, his era. So one day I shall come back. Yes. So that was the obvious one. That's an amazing speech. And I can't say that all the way through because I end up choking up. And yeah, so that's amazing. Um, I think the other, like the other one is a really cool. Uh, in So in the... I think it's the family of blood two parts of the tenant era. The young lad, the character, I've forgotten the character's name, but he does the whole, he's like fire and ice. He's like the night and the storm in the heart of the sun. That whole speech, that's pretty cool. And that's, um, yeah, that's a really good one. But there is one that I can't, there is a really cool, oh yeah. So another really good one for me. I think it's up there. One of my favorites is Matt Smith saying that we're all stories in the end. So that's a really nice little. So when he says we're all stories in the end, just make it a good one. Uh, it's the, it's like the, the madman who uh, stole a magic box and I only borrowed it. I was, gonna, I was only, I was always going to take it back as well. So that, that whole speech there, that, that it's not really a speech, but that's a really nice, um, a cool thing. So the whole, we're all just stories in the end. So just make it a good one. That's really lovely. But yeah, so those three, I would say, Sammy, thank you very much. Luke Malloy on Facebook says, if you had to choose one companion to be sucked through the crack in time so that they never existed at all, who would it be? 
Crikey, Luke. One companion to be sucked through the crack in time so that they never existed at all. Wowzers. Um, it's gone dark all of a sudden. We've gone dark. Eh? Uh, I don't think I'm going to pick one, Luke, to be honest with you, dude. I think that's a bit of a... Hmm. Yeah, I don't think I can... I mean, there are certain companions that I don't think are as good as other companions due to either a combination of the the, the actor themselves and or their performance as that companion. But I wouldn't say that I'd like any of them to be to be uh, sucked through the crack in time so that they never existed. I wouldn't... Hmm. Unless I'm reading that wrong. One companion to be sucked through... No, so that they never existed. Now, I can't pick one, dude. I don't think I'd want any of them to be gone at all. I think they all have their their lendings to each story to a degree, and some of them more than others. But yeah. Hmm. Maybe what's your answer to that then, Luke? Send over a tweet or something, or Facebook. Let us know what you think on that one. But yeah, I don't want to pick one because they're all, I don't think any of them deserve to be wiped from time and existence. Uh, Matt Searson on Facebook says, after watching series 11 when it was put out, I wasn't happy with it. After starting to watch it again last week, I really enjoyed it. It's definitely grown on me. Have you rewatched it recently? Have any of your opinions changed? If not, will you rewatch it before series 12 starts? So that's really cool, Matt. I'm glad that you've you've had a chance to go and rewatch it and that it's, it's kind of grown on you and stuff. That's very cool. Um, to answer your question, I know I've not rewatched it since it went out on TV for two reasons. One is I didn't pick up the the box set for it, so I don't actually own it, so I can't watch it anyway. Uh, and number two is I just have no, at, at this moment in time anyway, I just have no interest, I just have no interest in watching them again. Um, and I think somebody else asked a previous question to this earlier on, which was something like looking back on series 11 and all that stuff. I think just for me and my opinion is that I just wasn't overly taken with series 11 and I'm not bashing anything in particular here. This is not an attack on, 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 on the Chibbers or Jody or anything like that. I just think as a whole, as a series, it's just not something that, like there are certain things within television that I will always go back and rewatch all the time. So pretty much the bulk of Doctor Who, not every single series or season or Doctor, but for the most part, I go back and watch plenty of Doctor Who all the time. And then there's a bunch of other stuff that I rewatch all the time as well. So things like Red Dwarf and The X-Files, you know, Batman, the animated series. There are certain things that I'll, I'll never tire of uh, and rewatch all the time. Um... Where's all gummage? Loads of things, actually, that I can't think of off the top of my head. But Series 11 is just not something that I, I've, I've... Ever since it went out on TV, I've never once thought, I really want to watch Series, series 11 again. And like I said, this is not a, an attack or anything. I don't want to get into a whole, why don't you like Series 11 and, you know, and all that stuff. It's just I've never had the inclination to watch it again. And I couldn't if I, if I wanted to, because I don't own it. I haven't picked it up yet. Um, however, I do want to rewatch it before Series 12 goes out. So when we get the announcement for when Series 12 is starting, I'll then pick up the box set and I'll give them a rewatch so that everything in terms of their character, uh, you know, all of the little nuances of their characters and all that stuff is all fresh in my mind going to Series 12. So, 
yeah, to answer your question, no, I haven't rewatched it. Um, my opinion hasn't changed, but I will rewatch it before season 12 goes out. Uh, what's next? There's a few more. So Chloe Anderson on Facebook says, in your opinion from new Doctor Who, what has been the saddest moment? Saddest moment. Uh, so there's been two for me. The first one is the ending to the Matt Smith story, Vincent and the Doctor. That always has me bawling like a baby. Actually, not bawling. It always chokes me up and I get teary watching that because it's such a beautiful story anyway. And the ending is so heartbreaking because they realise that after all the good that they tried to do for Vincent, he ended up taking his life anyway. And it's really sad. And that song that they chose at the end when they show him the the gallery, the modern gallery of all his paintings and stuff, and he starts tearing up and... That little speech, speech from Bill Nye, his character about it and stuff—it's such a, God, that really hit. That really hits the emotional part of your, you know, your heart. Just the heartstrings are pulled very firm on that one. Uh, and the other bit, um, which will always get me, is the is tenants regen. I know it's soppy. I know it's it's not everyone's favourite, but I've got an emotional attachment to that era of Doctor Who because. People from who have listened to the show for a long time will have heard me say this a couple of times. When I got into Doctor Who in the beginning of the Matt Smith era, I stopped a few episodes in and went back and pick up picked up Eccleston's box set, and I started binging that. But I did that over a space of, I'd say, a couple of weeks watching Eccleston's era, which I loved, and then obviously fell in love with Doctor Who immediately, and. Uh, then I started to pick up the other box sets as we went through. So I binged all of David Tennant's era in about four days. So I was off work for something. I might've just had annual leave or I might've been off sick. I can't remember, but I remember just going through all of David Tennant's run very, very quickly. So for three or four days, or it might've been five days, my life was just David Tennant in Doctor Who. And because I had spent, loads of time with his doctor a very short amount of time that's why i class him as my doctor quote unquote because i think the general rule of thumb is the very first the very first episode of doctor who that you watched that doctor is your doctor in quotes but i can't really i can't really label matt smith because i don't feel like i have the same emotional attachment to matt smith's character as i do to david tennant so when we got to the end of David Tennant's run, it was just such a, an emotional wallop because I had spent so much time with that character and that show that it really hit me hard. And I was literally crying my eyes out. My wife had fallen. I remember it really quickly, really clearly. My wife had fallen asleep on the sofa next to me. We had the, we had the duvet down from upstairs. We was having a bit of a TV binge because she really likes Tennant's character, Tennant's version of the Doctor. And she had fallen asleep. Um, and I, yeah, I was watching it through and I was, tears were just streaming down my face. And like I said, everyone's, you know, got different views on the end of time and stuff. But for me, they're the two saddest moments in Doctor Who. Uh, let's have a look. Uh, Joseph Howarth on Facebook. What's your worst story from the classic and new series? And also, do you have a monster that you'd like to see again in the new series? Well, I've already answered the new monster, uh, the monster in the new series before. That's the Sea Devils. I think that'd be really cool. 
worst story from classic and new. Now, this is a bit of a tough one because I don't think any story is, you know, all of Doctor Who is is good, relatively speaking. You know, some of them aren't as good as others, but I think all of Doctor Who is good. You know, I don't think there's, I mean, there's been a couple of episodes that I just think, do you know what? If I never see that again, it'll be fine. <laughs> um, so from classic Doctor Who, um, I don't know. I think potentially the twin dilemma, that all, that one always just has me, like literally within five minutes into the episode, I'm browsing Twitter, looking at Instagram. Um, it just doesn't hold my attention at all. And I'm not really a fan of Colin in that one. Um, so maybe that one, uh, in new Doctor Who, I would say for me, one that really, I think I gave such a low score was sleep no more. When did we do sleep no more? Can't remember. I think I gave it a really, really low score. Um, yeah, I mean that particular story I just thought was incredibly bad. <laughs> um, uh, episode 65. So we did that ages ago. Uh, back in 2015, we reviewed that. Um, and I gave it a... <laughs> I gave it a 1 out of 10. <laughs> and Adam gave it a 4.5. So, you know, under average from Adam as well. But I think that's the lowest score I've ever given an episode of Doctor Who. And I think it's because... Yeah, I just... The story, I don't want to go into it now, but just go back and listen to episode, go onto the website, all of our shows are on there or whatever podcast app, go back to listen and listen to episode 65 if you want to hear Gary um, just really not happy about Doctor Who at that time. So yeah, and the other one I'd probably say would be either the Saranga Conundrum or Kablam from series 11. Again, just two stories that within five or six minutes in, I was switched off and not bothered about it. So yeah, there we go, Joseph. Uh, next up, Daniel Hickey from Facebook says, which regeneration did you find most heartbreaking? And in New Who, who has who has had the best speech? So I've answered that one already. Tenant's regeneration, I think, is the most heartbreaking for me and best speech I've already done. Although I do want to include uh, Capaldi's speech in the Zygon two-parter when he's got everybody in the war room in in the black archive and yeah so i think that particular speech now that comes to mind is fantastic i love that speech when capaldi delivers that and then the ones that i mentioned previously uh aiden i think aidexn h on instagram says fave piece of who merch that you own um i've sold off a lot of my merch over the last year uh, so I've only, I've kept like just a few key things. So I think probably from that stuff, it'd be the Siege Mode TARDIS from Rubber Toe Props. It's a very simple prop. It's not anything amazing, but it just looks fantastic. It's from the Capaldi Story Flatline, I think. I could be wrong with that, but yeah, it looks really cool. And the other one would be my 10th Doctor's Sonic Screwdriver, but it's the it's the TV remote control version. So the reason why I like that is because it it feels like a proper prop. The the other Sonics that you can buy are like plasticky 
for obvious reasons, they're toys. But this one just feels more like the components are more quality and stuff like that. So yeah, 10th Donner's 10th uh, Donner. The 10th Doctor, Sonic Remote, and the Siege Mode TARDIS. Uh, MTR from Twitter says, Having seen Dad's Army's missing episodes recently remade, how would you feel if they did the same thing with some of the missing First Doctor stories and David Bradley? I would think, uh, I think that would be cool, but it has to be done right. And I think, and the reason I say that is because I think David Bradley is really good playing William Hartnell, playing the Doctor. I think he's great as the first Doctor. I think he's got a lot of the mannerisms down and, you know, he's, he, he just, he, he, he nails the vibe of Hartnell in some scenes. So I think he's, he can be very good as the first Doctor. He's very good. But I just feel like the way that he's been written in a couple of, so the, what was it? The Christmas special with Capaldi. Um, what was that one? The the Christmas story, when it was Capaldi and the First Doctor. I think the way that the First Doctor was written wasn't exactly amazing for that. It was a little bit like, I think a lot of complaints circled around him being quite sexist in that story and, and that kind of thing. And it just made it, it made it feel like the Hartnell's doctor was there for the sake of a plot mechanism rather than like, look, this is the first doctor. It's more like, and for obvious reasons, you know, it's Capaldi, it was Capaldi's run at the time, but it felt like it was a Capaldi story with this kind of strange cameo from somebody playing Hartnell's doctor instead of it being this is a 12th doctor and a first doctor story like a proper multi-doctor story it felt like Hartnell's character uh, Hartnell's uh, doctor uh, David Bradley was in there just to as a bit of a plot device and and nothing more so I think yes it would be cool I'd like to see that but it has to be it would have to be done properly and in the right way but if so I think it could work yeah uh, Lewis Palmer on Twitter says, in light of the incredibly sad news of Terence Dix's passing, what are your favourite stories from Uncle Terence? <laughs> Uncle Terence. Uh, easy one for me, The Five Doctors. Such a good story. And I like a lot of the stuff that he did for the second Doctor story, The War Games. Um, Neil uh, Brightermoon over on Twitter says, the Tenant era of Who is often regarded as the best era in Who. What do you think made it so special? Um, good question, Neil. I think, I think it's often regarded as the, regarded as the best era for two reasons. First of all, it's just pu- purely a numbers game to a degree. The tenant era of who is when the show had the most amount of people watching it. So for that very reason, you've got more people talking about it and conversing about it than any other era because there are more people watching it. So that's the first one. Uh, the second reason is more from a creative standpoint. I just feel like everything was there at the right place at the right time around Tennant's era. I think Chris Eccleston had done a fantastic job bringing the show back in the first place. And that was a brilliant springboard into, right, now that the show's back and we've established that Doctor Who is still very popular and people want to see it. Unfortunately, although Chris isn't here, this other guy I think is going to be amazing. So I think 
a combination of the timing was there. So David Tennant coming into that role at that time was just perfect. Not good for Eccleston, but perfect for David Tennant because I'd love to have seen Eccleston stay on. But uh, And then it was just the quality of the story writing. I think, yeah, Adam and I have said this so many times on the show when we're talking about the RTD era, is that Russell T. Davis and the writers that he brought on board, I just think did such an amazing job of writing great characters and just really good adventures for the Doctor. I think it's just one of those things where they just got the formula down and got that right, and then you've got the great performances to go with it. Some of the companions throughout Tenancy are really good with Rose and Donna, and and uh, and then you've got the whole Torchwood integration, so you've got Captain Jack in there as well, and the whole Sarah Jane offshoot. I just think that that whole era has just got so much good stuff in it. So by the time the mothball comes round and we've got Matt Smith's era, all of that stuff's gone, really. So there's no more Sarah Jane adventures, no more Torchwood. Um, you know, so, I mean, it's difficult to, to kind of put it into a, into, a, into a nutshell, but I think it's just magic. I think it was just a magic time that you can't, you can't just re-bottle magic, uh, you know, all the time. And I think the uh, the tenant era is that. I think it's a magical time of Doctor Who where all the stuff clicked into place nicely and all the story writing was great and the characters were good and some of the themes from Murray Gold were brilliant and, you know, all these things just... And then you had Doctor Who at the proms and it was all out there and just the marketing and all the merch and all the, the ranges of toys and stuff, everything was there in place and rocking and rolling for the most part. And then I think as we've gone through the years, a lot of those things have kind of slipped away and we don't have them as much. So, yeah, I just think the tenant era is a timing thing more than anything, uh, but also a bit of a numbers game because that's when more people are watching it. But I hope that answers your question now. Uh, last few now. Sarah, the running Whovian on Instagram says, in light of recent news, your favourite Terence Dick story. I've just answered that one, Sarah, the five doctors and the bulk of stuff that he did on the war games. And there's also a bunch of Target novels that are, really good that I can't see on my shelf right now, but I might put them on Twitter or something. Um, uh, a geek named something over on Instagram as well. Who is this? A geek, a geek named Aaron over on Instagram says, um, what is your favorite missing episode that hasn't been animated? That includes recons and audio soundtracks. Um, missing episode that hasn't been ap- animated. Uh, I'd probably say the moon base. I think if I'm answering your question correctly, I think that's, I think the moon base has got a really good bunch of stuff in there around Cybermen and stuff that we, that would be great to see that we haven't seen yet. So yeah, the moon base and potentially again, potentially the Dalek master plan. I think that would be when they do finally get around to animating that stuff, it'd be awesome. But I think for now, you know, there are, they're probably my fave missing ones that I'd love to see um, animated at some point, which I'm sure they'll do. Uh, and then lastly, Matt Steele over on Twitter said, if you could pick the next showrunner, who would you pick? Uh, when things are back to normal, can you guys do some more commentary shows in brackets, Empty Child? And number three, if you could pick anything to change in the show's history, what would it be? Uh, wow. Um Pick a showrunner. So that's a really difficult question because 
Uh, hmm. Actually, I'll tell you, a, a good showrunner, uh, well, somebody who I think would be a good showrunner, uh, is uh, a female writer actually called Sally Wainwright. And Sally Wainwright has been, has, has written some really good British drama uh, over the years. And I feel like she would be a really good fit for the show. Uh, so she's worked on a bunch of stuff. She's been writing since the early 90s. And she's done like her time in like the early sort of soapy kind of days. Like she's done some Emmerdale, some Corrie, some Bad Girls, that sort of thing, like typical week by week soap stuff. But then she also did some really cool stuff. So she did The Canterbury Tales. She's done um, The Amazing Mrs. Pritchard. She's done Bonkers. Um, what else did she do? Uh, Happy Valley, which is a really successful drama that won tons of awards. Uh, she's done the recently well-received Gentleman Jack. Uh, what else has she done? Uh, a little while ago. Yeah. So I think she's she's got a ton of experience with writing good quality characters. Like I mentioned about the RTD and the Tenant era, why it was so good, because the characters were so strong. She's got buckets of writing experience where it comes to uh, characters and just really good drama. So I think, I think Sally Wainwright would be awesome. I think if she came on board and also brought in a ton of good writers as well, uh, that'd be a really cool showrunner. Um, number two, can we do more commentaries? We'd love to do more commentaries. Adam and I have spoken about this off air before that it's just a timing thing. We just need to try and nail down a timer. We can both get together and record that stuff. So we'll definitely try and do that. We'd love to do that. And yeah, Empty Child would be a great one to sit there and, and chat about. So uh, yes, we will um, we'll try and do that, Matt. And then lastly, if you could pick anything to change in the show's history, what would it be? Uh, do you know what? If I could change, there isn't much I would change because when you change things, that has a, this is a bit of a timey-wimey answer, but when you change one thing, even if it's tiny, tiny little insignificant thing, that actually has a knock-on effect to everything else. So I probably wouldn't change anything, but I think the only thing I would change is not having Eccleston leave after one series. I think, I think by the end of series one, by the time we got to the part in other ways, he was just on fire with the doctor. And it's such a shame that the creative differences were there and his falling outs with Russell and some other people that just made him feel like, do you know what? I kind of like the show and the character, but I can't work like this. You know, it's, I just don't want to do it anymore. It's such a shame that he felt that way towards the end of the series, which is in quite a big contrast to someone like David Tennant, who at the end felt like I want to leave while I still love it. I, you know, I don't want it to be, I don't want it to feel like I'm, it, it's just a chore, like a job. You know, I'm leaving while I still absolutely love the show and love working on it and all that stuff. So it'd be amazing. If I could change one thing, it would be, that there wasn't any falling outs or creative differences between Chris and the other people and that he loved it and just stayed on for at least another series. Because I think by the end of that, he really settled into his character and I think he could have gone on to do some really amazing stuff, some amazing stories. So yes, that'd be that thing. That'd be the thing I would change is having Eccleston stay on for another series. So that wraps it up for Q&A. Thank you so much, guys, for sending in all of your cues and stuff. I hope I've answered them satisfactorily. And uh, if not, we'll we'll do another Q&A later on in the year when Adam's back. And 
or, or actually we'll do another one sort of early next year when potentially Series 12's been and gone and Doctor Who might be in a different state and there's lots more relevant questions and stuff. So, But it's been really cool, really fun uh, for me to go through and and dig these answers out uh, out of my head, which I'm quite quite proud of because normally when people ask me questions about Doctor Who, I have an immediate brain freeze. But no, it's been very cool. So thank you so much for taking the time to uh, send in your questions and whatnot. And I think we'll wrap there for 240. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Who fans, for sticking with me for episode 240. It's been very, very cool to be back behind the microphone doing podcasting and just keeping you guys up to speed with anything that's happening in the world of Doctor Who, really, uh, just to get you through the, the slow, dark times of not having anything from the BBC at the minute. It's just been a bit barren. So hopefully keeping you guys uh, all Doctor Who'd up, as it were. Um, it's been very cool talking about some merch. Really over the moon about the season 26 uh, Blu-ray box set. Can't wait to get that. Also, the Rose story from Big Finish, the Dimension Canon. That's very cool. And that we're going to get some Six Doctor and Perry stuff next year. All very good stuff. Uh, but sad news that um, we say goodbye to Terence Dix. Uh, yeah, it's very, very sad. But uh, now would be a great time to start hunting down some of the Target novels that he did. Uh, very, very good writer for that stuff. So go and check out that. Uh, in the meantime, head over to our website, www.bigblueboxpodcast.co.uk. You can listen to all of our previous shows on there. And also look out for us on the social networks, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Just do a search for us on there. Uh, give us a like and a follow. We chat lots of Doctor Who during the week uh, in between podcast episodes. And remember to subscribe to the show as well. So just do a search for us on iTunes or whatever podcast app you listen to and give us a sub on there so you don't miss a show when they land on a Friday. And if you could spare a minute for a review, that would be awesome as well, because that really helps. Uh, also, check out my co-host channel over on YouTube, The Geek's Handbag. Just do a search for that. You'll find Adam's channel. So many cool videos over there from Adam. Uh, loads of reviews, unboxings, all the good geeky stuff um, that Adam does. Uh, so give him a sub on there. And he's also on the social channels under the same name, The Geek's Handbag. The Geek's Handbag. Just do a search for that. And uh, like I said, we chat Doctor Who and, and whatnot throughout the week. Um, I'll be back next week for episode 241 uh, with either a guest host uh, or myself doing whatever. Uh, but until then, have a cracking week. Take care of yourselves. And remember, a- Lundy. Lundy.